when you run your own business, you don't have a boss, you have thousands of bosses. Hello, hello, my fellow imposters. Welcome to the Imposter Project podcast, the safe space for anyone who is self-employed, a small business owner, an entrepreneur, or simply someone doing their own hustle. Here we can talk about all the struggles, anxieties, and difficulties of forging out our own career paths and all the lessons we've learned along the way without anyone mansplaining, boasting, networking, or hashtag girlbossing. Hello, I'm back. I'm Hoodie and I'm here for another ramble. So get yourself cozy, get yourself ready, get yourself a nice big cup of tea, whatever floats your boat and let's have a chat and a bit of a catch up. Um, It's been a really long time since I've recorded this podcast. The last time I actually did an episode was back in May and that has mainly been because I have been rushed off my feet. I'm working so, so hard and as a result, my mental health has not been great at all. Um, I just haven't had time to really do the whole self-care thing. Um, My business has just become my absolute entire life and identity and um, I've been exhausted by it. Um, I've done a lot of preamble for this episode that I've just now cut. I'm just gonna tell you really quickly what this episode is about because a lot of the stuff that I've had to cut out is just basically me having like a mini therapy session, which you don't need to hear. The long and the short of it is that my mental health has not been good over the past few months. I'm really tired and stressed out. I'm very, very anxious about trying to keep all of my ducks up in the air. That isn't the phrase. Ducks in a row, something in the air, pies in the air, plates in the air. Anyway, um, trying to keep everything going is what I'm trying to say. Trying to juggle everything. I've been very anxious about all of that. Um, And it's really hard. But ultimately, I want to share it honestly even though it feels very vulnerable to talk about that type of thing. And I sometimes worry as a business owner if it's bad business practice to talk too honestly about this type of thing. But here we are, I'm gonna do it. And now let's get into it. In this episode, I'm gonna be talking about things that I was naive about before I started the business. And I'm gonna be answering some of your questions. I want to make more of a conscious effort to talk about the shitty side of business whilst I'm in it. I don't want to be one of those people that I often see on YouTube and in interviews and stuff that are like, well, five years ago when I was in the first few years of my business, there was blood, sweat and tears. I was crying every day. It was horrendous. But now I'm a multimillionaire and they never showed it at the time, if that makes sense. I don't want to tell you this in five years time. I want to tell you it right now when it's messy and maybe I'm not explaining myself very well. Maybe I'm moaning a lot because I want to be able to look back on this and be like, I have a record of actually how I felt at the time. A lot of my friends ask me like, how is it actually going? And I find it really hard to say because I don't want to be just like a bundle of moaning particularly because I do think from the outside owning a successful small business probably looks incredible because I'm not saying that to be arrogant, but I've had a lot of people say that to me. I've had a lot of people say like, you're so lucky you get to decide when to go into work or you're so lucky. I wish I had a business that was profitable or whatever. But fundamentally, I am really aware of that. I'm really aware of how lucky I am to have a successful startup and actually how rare that is. And as much as it's down to my hard work and the idea itself, which I do think is good and important, um, it's also hugely and probably 
largely down to my privilege of my background and also the countless unpaid hours that my parents and my boyfriend have put into helping me behind the scenes, which I've, you know, I've just been born into that luck. Um, And I constantly want to recognize that privilege before I go on a ramble about how hard I'm finding it because I know, I know I sound like a dick because I am super privileged, but also I am finding it really, really hard. Um, I'm working constantly, 24 seven. The main thing I sense is that a lot of people I speak to aren't really sure what I'm complaining about or they're not really sure what I'm so stressed about. People often say like, give yourself the weekend off, you're your own boss. But I actually can't. Um, Running your own business doesn't mean you suddenly have no responsibility or pressure. Stephen Bartlett, um, you know, the new dragon, has said in the past that when you run your own business, you don't have a boss, you have thousands of bosses. And I think that is so true. Every single one of my customers is my boss. Every single one of my customers has the right to say, why aren't you working on my package? Why aren't you replying to my email? And trust me, a fair number of them have. I've definitely had customers email on 9am on a Saturday and then 7pm on a Saturday, I've had people reply with question marks like, hello. I think people are used to it from like Amazon or bigger companies where they have staff all over the world paid 24 seven, but you can't expect that from a small business and yet people do. I think perhaps something I struggle with more than anything is that I just wasn't expecting it. Um, I was entirely naive. I remember setting up my business and thinking I would never really have to deal with negative criticism. (laughs) Like, I'm a nice, honest person, okay? I'm offering a nice, honest service at decent prices. I'm not screwing anyone over. My ethics are key to the business. Like, I genuinely was trying to set up an ethical good business my profit margins are as small as humanly possible to avoid our prices being too high I pay my staff as much as I can I pay my taxes I don't steal from anyone (laughs) I'm a good person okay um why should there be a problem but obviously that's naive because as anyone who has ever run a business or been in customer service will tell you you can be the loveliest person ever and people are still going to be unhappy and people are still gonna still gonna have problems packages are still gonna go missing and you're still gonna have to reimburse someone uh, no matter how ethical and lovely you might be and i wish i could say so in conclusion i've learned to let this criticism roll off my back or i wish i could be inspiring and say so after two years of this i've learned that criticism helps me grow and i love it but the truth is i don't i'm not gonna sit here and say criticism is fabulous um i have paper thin skin every single critique bothers me and over the last two years i could probably remember every single piece of criticism we've ever received i was already an anxious person before starting this business but i think i've come to realize i'm quite a people pleaser too and it turns out that being a people pleaser does not make a good business owner um I want to chase down every single person who has ever been disappointed or displeased with our service and I want to beg them to try again take my firstborn child if you have to just please don't leave a negative review and um I think that is really bad as a business owner because we're never gonna have good profits if I want to refund every single person who's unhappy um and it kills me if to to make those decisions sometimes i do have to say no you can't have a refund you told us the wrong size and now none of the clothes fit or or whatever i can't think of an example read our faqs if you want to know our actual policy i can't think of an example but you know like 
I really want to give all those refunds all the time because I hate people being unhappy. Sorry, my WhatsApp just binged. I hate people being unhappy. So I always want to give those refunds and then, you know, I won't be able to pay rent. <laughs> I think something I'm also realizing about being a business of this size is that there's something really bittersweet about being in a growing business. And again, this is why I want to talk about it whilst I'm in it that we are now at the stage where we are big enough that we really do have a lot of customers coming in. Again, super exciting, but also, you know, challenges with that. We are now big enough that I do need more staff. I need to pay rent on a warehouse. I have a lot of outgoing costs, but we're also small enough that, you know, the first few years of having a business are really, what's the word, fragile. We're really fragile. Um, so we're kind of in that like medium stage where I think we're the most vulnerable, um, where we've got like big expenses and we don't have investors yet. Um, and everything is very much on me. We don't have a customer service department. We don't have an accounting department. Um, there's no fancy department, but we're big enough that we need all of those things. We're big enough that we're paying tax. We're big enough that we're dealing with staff. Um, and I think that's something that I really want to represent is the size of this business, honestly, um, because we see a lot of the early startups that are really driven by excitement and um, like the propulsion of having an incredible new idea. You see a lot of that, I think, on social media. And then you see the Grace Beverleys and the Molly Mays of the world who are living the perfect life whilst they cash in their checks. And um, I don't think you often see the businesses of my size or the business owners of my size living with their parents because they're not taking a proper salary, just chilling in their overdraft. Um, whilst also having thousands of paying customers, you don't see that type of business owner. I actually just got a copy of Courier, How to Start and Grow a Business. Um, it's just a magazine that I just found in WH Smith. And um, on the first page, the editor writes this. Nobody wants a killjoy right now, but indulge me for a minute. We're here to tell you the truth. The time you spend before launch getting things right and being prepared to deal with inevitable dark clouds is the best insurance you'll ever take. Let's face it, starting a business is likely one of the riskiest things you'll ever do. Savings, career, security, and even relationship dynamics all get put on the line. We often don't fully appreciate it at the time, since the starting phase is an all-consuming, adrenaline-charged exercise in bright optimism. There's nothing like the heady rush of realising you've taken control, changed your life, and are setting out on an adventure. But as any adventurer who has returned safely from multiple expeditions will tell you, preparation and risk containment go hand-in-hand hand with survival. Um, I just thought that was a really good paragraph to basically sum up what I've been trying to say. Um, it's taken me like 20 minutes to try to say what he said in a few minutes. And I wish I'd heard something like that. I mean, to be honest, even if I had heard that before, I wouldn't have properly listened because I did not think I was setting up a business at all. I thought I was setting up like an exciting side thing on the side. I definitely didn't think I was setting up anything that would take over my life <laughs> and give people jobs like I definitely didn't think I was doing that so maybe this type of advice would actually have fallen short anyway because I didn't know that it would apply to me but it's so true that you don't realize it at the time that what you are setting up is gonna affect real relationships it's gonna really have your life on the line 
you don't realize at the time because you are so excited with your idea. I'm not telling you not to set up your business. I'm just telling you to be prepared mentally for the toll it might take. I remember thinking like, once I have a hundred customers, I'll be sorted, (laughs) I'll be rich. I remember someone actually really early on saying, um, where are you gonna put all these clothes when you get more orders? Because at the time I was just doing it in my spare room. And I was like, when I get more orders and I can pay rent on an office, I'll be so successful. I won't be worried about anything. And I remember genuinely thinking that. And I'm not talking about like some naive five-year-old. This was me two years ago, I was 21. And I genuinely thought that. I thought like, once you're successful, all problems go out the window. A lot of people say that running a business is like having a baby. And I definitely think that's true. I love this business. I'm so, so proud of it. But also like with having a baby, you can have postpartum depression. You can feel that you're losing yourself in order to look after this baby and keep it alive. You can feel that you're giving everything you have to this baby without a word of thanks. You can feel blessed that this baby is in your life, but you also have lots of sleepless nights filled with worry. And you might be really looking forward to when this baby is a bit more of a fully fledged child who can take care of themselves a little bit more so you can finally have a fucking holiday. So since April, when I last recorded an episode, a lot has happened. We have moved offices and we've hired more staff. Um, We're actually hiring staff again. Um, Moving offices was super exciting, but it was also a challenge in itself. When I was searching for a new office space, um, this was in about August, uh, we started looking properly. I realized I was kind of looking at the more aesthetically pleasing places. And I was really stretching the budget to get to those places. I realized this really properly when I was in a place in Hampstead that was smaller than the one that we needed. It was we, I think, ended up with a 1,200 square foot space. Does that sound right? I don't know, actually. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. 1,200 square foot. It was about, that's what we've ended up with, and it's a really good size. Um, But the one in Hampstead was 900 square foot, so quite a lot less. And I was really considering it, even though it was way more expensive. And it also had these massive beams, like these wooden beams across the ceiling um, that were just purely aesthetic. And it would have meant that our clothing rails actually would have not fit underneath. So even though there were all of these problems, I was really considering it. And I actually just kind of needed a slap around the face from like my friends and my family to just stop me. And I realized that the reason I was so gonna go for this place is just because it was more aesthetic and it made me feel more successful having an aesthetic new office in the best location. I wanted to be in Hampstead, in a nice place to go for walks at lunch. And I think I was subconsciously looking for the most photogenic place rather than the most practical. And I think it was genuinely because on social media, on TikTok in particular, when you see like tours of office spaces of small businesses, they are all amazing. They've all got like murals, they've all got light filling every room. There's a space for the staff. There's, they just all look incredible. And then you automatically think this is a successful small business. Um, And that is not the reality. The reality for a small business owner is you have to find the place that is most financially viable and actually will give you the most bang for your buck. In the end, it meant 
being in outer London, because obviously the rent is a lot less for outer London, you get way more space. Um, and I'm so glad that I stopped myself. Well, I say I stopped myself. Probably my dad gave me a big talking to and stopped me from doing it. I'm so glad that I didn't get the place in Hampstead and I went for this bigger place on the outskirts instead because that would have been the worst business decision I could have made. Um, And it just goes to show that even though I like to think of myself as fairly self-aware, it just goes to show like how much social media can really affect a business owner and make you make bad decisions um, just so that you look, so that you've got the look of being successful. I think sometimes having the look of being successful for a small business can be more important and a higher priority than actually being successful. And I know that if we had got that place in Hampstead, we would look successful because we'd have light coming in, everything would be gorgeous, we'd have the wooden beams, but we wouldn't be financially successful. We'd go bust in a few months. And we also would have had to have moved fairly quickly because all of our stock wouldn't have fit in there anyway. So now if we do an office tour, spoiler alert, we're probably not gonna do an office tour for a while because it's not an aesthetically pleasing office. We've had a few comments on our TikToks asking us to do office tours, but it's really not that nice. It's it's a very practical office. It's got the that kind of um, like old office ceiling tiles, that like gray speckled ceiling tiles. We haven't changed the blinds because they didn't fit into our budget. So we've got quite old office blinds. You know, it's very practical. There's a lot of storage stuff. There's a lot of cables. Um, it's very real. It's not aspirational. It's very functional. Um, But you know, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking it probably is important to have an honest office tour because I keep on complaining that there's not realistic videos for small business owners, but maybe I should make some, but I'm embarrassed, honestly. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I am a bit embarrassed to show like the nuts and bolts of our office because it's really not that great. Um, And it's not aspirational. And I think I'm really finding it hard to like toe the line between showing our honest business and also showing something that people want to buy into, that people be like, wow, how glamorous, I wanna get involved. I think that's also part of the difficulty of having a fashion business is that fashion is a lot about appearances, it is a lot about glamour. And I feel embarrassed if ours looks crusty. (laughs) Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. If If you are a consumer of Big Sister Swap, how would you feel about seeing like the full on dusty office with the kitchen that hasn't changed since the 70s and all of our secondhand furniture that's the other thing none of our furniture friggin matches i couldn't even show you where all the staff sits because all the tables are different heights because they're all secondhand ah anyway So now onto the questions from you lovely people. Um, I put a question stick on my Instagram, but also if you have any other questions, feel free to message me on Instagram. I'm the thrifty thinker on Instagram and TikTok. And you can also drop me an email at, now I've got to remember it after like six months of not doing the podcast, theimposterprojectpod at gmail.com. Theimposterprojectpod at gmail.com. So someone said, are you still hiring? Yes, we are still hiring. Honestly, I think we'll probably be hiring constantly moving forward. Um, If the right person comes along, I would find room in the budget for them. (laughs) Um, I really think that having the right staff is the biggest asset to this business. Um, As it is a personal styling service, 
having the right personal stylist is key, but also having people to just help with the stock, people who I trust, people who get what we're trying to achieve, I think is super important and so valuable. And particularly as I was talking about in the first bit about how overwhelmed I am with the pressure and how I really need to delegate more, having people I trust to delegate to is really important. So yeah, long story short, I will definitely be hiring for a while. And I think I do want to talk a bit more about the hiring process. If you have any specific questions, I'll probably want to do an episode just on that. But I'm really am learning something different every time I do hire people. Um, This is now the third kind of round of hiring that we've done. Um, We don't have a fancy recruitment department or anything. It's mainly been Lizzie reading the CVs and then forwarding the ones that kind of match our criteria to me. And then I interview the people. It's really been that straightforward. Um, And I... I also think, so it's meant that like, I'm really, really hands-on with it is what I'm trying to say. So I've definitely learned new things every time. This time around, we'll probably be doing some kind of assessment center where we'll kind of show the applicants every step of picking the swaps and see if that works for them and kind of introduce them to our system. Um, I do feel like this time around, I actually want them to interview and assess me just as much as I'm assessing them because I really want them to know if it's the right place for them before they come. Um, like Big Sister Swap is not a luxury styling service at all. It's it's a secondhand service. It's very kind of involved, uh, hands-on. It's not glamorous day-to-day. It's quite intense work. Um, a lot of our customers have very specific individual requirements like sizing and material requirements. So there's a lot of checking labels and double checking labels. Um, I want the applicants to really know what they're getting into before they're there and I want them to feel that they can withdraw from the process at any point as well um I don't want to waste their time just as much as I'm sure they don't want to waste mine um like some people I do think love it um Lem one of our stylists who you might have seen if you follow our TikTok um keeps on reassuring me that she's enjoying it and that it is enjoyable work even though I keep on saying I'm really really sorry if it's boring work um I don't know if that's my imposter syndrome Um, because this whole business model, this whole structure, this whole way of picking clothes has come from my brain. So I'm like, oh my God, I want people to actually enjoy this job. Um, I want people to enjoy the work that I've given them. I don't know. I don't know if anyone can relate to that of like having staff and introducing them to my baby, my business and being like, I hope you like it. It feels quite vulnerable, you know, like, The fact that they could hate their job, they could go home and be complaining about their job, complaining about their manager. And that's me, I'm I'm the person who's given them that job. And it feels like a lot of pressure because in this day and age, we talk a lot about how people should love their work. People shouldn't be detesting their nine to five and I would never wanna contribute to that. So a very long winded way of saying, I really want the staff we're hiring now to fully get what the job is and what it will be before they sign up. Um, I find, the questions they ask at the end of the interview is super fascinating. And again, I'd love to know if any other small business owners feel the same way of sometimes it feels like I'm being interviewed and it's really interesting and very like self-reflective. One of the applicants asked two interesting questions at the end of her interview. Um, Also, if you are someone who's applied for the job, don't worry, we haven't sent out any emails yet confirming who's got it and who hasn't. So don't worry, we're still very much in the process of interviewing. Anyway, one of the applicants asked two interesting questions. She said, what is your workplace culture like? Which I found a really powerful question. It really kind of sat with me. 
I mean, at the time I answered it terribly during the interview because honestly, I was not expecting a deep question coming at me. Um, So I said something like friendly question mark. Um, But I have gone away and thought about what I want my workplace culture to be like moving forward. And I think it's really important um, to think about now as I have a growing team, because I think so far I've just kind of been like, oh, well, we're a small group of people and we all get along and I think it's friendly and it's nice, but I haven't really thought about once we expand, what what is the messaging that I want my team to feel like when they're at work? And I think it's quite a powerful thing to think about. Um, so obviously I want it to be an inclusive place. I want it to be a body positive place. I think that's really important in fashion. I want people to feel that their bodies are all valuable and beautiful. Um, I want it to be inclusive in terms of abilities as well. Um, I think that's really important. I, I obviously, I mean, it's illegal to be racist in the workplace, but I don't want, I don't want there to be any like passive racism, any harassment. I don't want anyone to ever feel like bullied or nervous in the workplace. And I always want people to feel that they could come to me as well. Um, no matter how how much of a hierarchy we might get one day with like different staff in different positions. I don't know. I always want someone to be able to feel like they could come to me and be like, yo hoodie, we have to talk about this. Um, But the thing I struggle with with that is like, as much as I say those goals out loud, how do you craft that? I'm sure there's probably some management courses I should be going on to know that and I probably should. I think, again, this is one of those things where I've really fallen into being a manager of a small team. Uh, So I've fallen into having these decisions but I really should be taking some courses probably and some classes in it um I guess I hope it will just kind of happen naturally that this um workplace culture will come about just from me being open and warm and hopefully people would think that I'm inclusive I hope so um but I definitely also am very aware that I spend a lot of time completely overwhelmed with anxiety about how much work I have to do a lot of the time when I'm feeling anxious I can't really speak very well I don't know if that makes sense but like I I can't really engage in conversation fully because my brain is like half focused on the tasks that I have to do um and so often I worry I don't even have time to come across as warm and welcoming and inclusive so it's definitely something I want to work on and again that makes me feel anxious about the fact that it's like my personality is the barrier to having the workplace that I would like my employees to enjoy if that makes sense So that's probably something I have to work on and probably something that comes with maturity that I don't have. (laughs) She also asked, bless her, what is the thing that makes me come to work every day? And again, I was like, wow, that's stumped me. Um, On the grander scheme of things, my business did come from a really pure and hopeful position for sustainability and inclusivity and affordable fashion. Um, I was definitely truly excited and passionate about that but I do kind of talk about that in past tense because honestly that passion has definitely been diluted by the sheer stress and pressure of running a small business um because now honestly what gets me up every day is the panic attacks about cash flow and paying rent and answering a customer's complaint um so I'm grateful for her for asking that question because again it's kind of taken me out of myself and reminded me to focus more on trying to get back to that purer version of myself where I really was getting out of bed to create something positive and exciting and helpful to people um I wish I could say that that is how I feel now but it's not um 
And I wonder if other small business owners, particularly ethical business owners feel that way of like, no matter how pure and ethical your original idea was, once you get hit by fucking capitalism, the emails from HMRC, bank statements, it's really hard to remember that. Uh, depressing, but true. And I'm glad she asked that question so that I can try better at remembering that. Someone else asked how to get started on TikTok. Um, I'm not sure if you mean personally or as a business, but either way, I would say just start. I know it's super cringy. Um, it really is. And <laughs> believe me, I still cringe myself out. I cringe myself out daily. Um, like I know this is gonna sound like a lie considering I'm talking to you on a podcast, but I can't stand the sound of my own voice. Um, and particularly like the face and voice that I use on TikTok, it's not really me. One of my friends watched my TikToks a few months ago and was like, you have such a different persona on here, which is true. Um, I also only show the left side of my face on TikTok. Um, now, now I've said that, you're only gonna notice that. But like, as soon as I hold up my phone to record a TikTok, I just put my face on like an angle. But anyway, whatever your hang up is about starting TikTok, if you want to do it, just do it. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard ever about anything about just taking the leap. Um, I can't remember who said this, it's probably someone on TikTok, but anyone who likes you already will like you anyway. And anyone who dislikes you already will dislike you anyway. Your TikToks are not gonna significantly change anyone's opinion of you. Um, I've had a few TikToks go viral or like kind of viral. So I think the odds are quite high that I've ended up on the few page of someone who hated me at school. And they thought I was a dickhead at school. They saw me on their for you page on TikTok and they still thought she's a dickhead. And you know what? The world didn't just cave in. <laughs> um, they might've even posted me on a group chat, which I know is like the worst thing someone can do is like share your TikToks in a group chat and be like, look at this fucking dickhead. But it happened and here I am. Well, I don't know it's happened. I might be really self-obsessed to think it happened, but I'm assuming I've been posted on someone's group chat and someone's thought I'm a dick, but they probably thought I was a dick anyway. And as for your friends, they like you already. And then they see whatever content you're putting out. There are probably people who, friends of mine, who think my TikToks are annoying. They probably hate the fact that I'm always plugging a podcast or a TikTok or something. Um, but they still like me. They probably are just like, oh, hoodie again with the podcast and then just scroll past it and then they still wanna hang out with me. So it's always still worth it. You're never gonna change someone's opinion with you from content that you put out. So if you wanna do it, you should do it. I would say as a business owner though, TikTok has changed everything. Our sales were up 300% one week when one of our TikToks went viral. Like it's huge for small businesses. But I would say TikTok comment sections are nasty. They are more nasty than any other platforms, I think. I'm not really sure why that is, um, but I would just say, be aware of that. If you're trying to go viral or trying to start a business or a platform on TikTok, you will get nasty comments and you just need to prepare yourself for that. Um, I know I said that I have a really thin skin, but actually when it comes to TikTok, I've got quite a thick skin because I do think most of them are 14 year olds in their bedrooms who are just bored. And once they've posted that, they, d they just forget about it. Um, and I think the thing that's really helped me with that is the people on TikTok who I love and admire, almost every single one of their videos has a stupid comment underneath that I so disagree with. And it's so stupid. And so I think if they have that, then it's almost like a compliment that I have that too, because that means I'm almost in their league. Um, 
And also, sometimes I think people ask things on TikTok comment sections that sound aggressive, but actually I think sometimes are real questions because maybe they are really young and they don't know how to actually just email customer services. So one person last week on our Big Sisters Wop TikTok said, why would you pay for this service? Which by itself sounds really rude. Like, what do you mean why would you pay for our service? Because we're giving you a great thing. Um, but I just replied saying, um, oh, well, you're paying for a personal stylist. Um, who's going to pick out clothes for you? And they replied saying, oh, cool, thanks. I've just bought a package. And she did. So I think sometimes people don't realise how they come across in just a few characters. But if you are going to try to get bigger on TikTok, just bear that in mind and try to prepare yourself for it a bit. all for today's episode it was a bit all over the place because I wanted to just touch on a few things but I think the next few episodes will be a bit more thematic but feel free to ask me if you want to talk about something specific Uh, feel free to drop me any questions if you are a small business owner I would love to hear from you let's get in touch Um, drop me any questions over on Instagram at the thrifty thinker TikTok at the thrifty thinker on email at theimposterpod at gmail.com and I will speak to you in the next one and hopefully it won't be in another six months time (laughs) bye thank you Thank you.